Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Wesker demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Today we're talking a movie from 2023, Todd Haynes directed, Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman starring in May, December. So we're reviewing this movie because after reviewing all 10 nominees for Best Picture at the Academy Awards 2024, this one nominated for Best Screenplay. Did you laugh? When the kids, meeting a big-time actress, was like, do you live in Calabasas? (laughs) Well, specifically, the Kardashians live in Calabasas, which is, I think, the biggest claim to fame. But uh, yeah, Calabasas, Topanga, Woodland Hills represent West Valley. Did you view this as a mystery of sorts while Natalie Portman was doing furious research and scrapbooking and stuff over the character? I was doing furious math. Were you trying to piece together the years of when all this happened, when this movie was set, when the events took place, and thus how old the characters were, how old the people were in the uh, in the scandal? Well, you're the one who's obsessed with age, especially age vis-a-vis your age. So no, I wasn't doing furious math. I sourced it because she said, you're we, we're basically the same age, about 36. And I was like, uh-oh, wait. Because they had been together for X number of years. And I was like, no, no, no. How old is this kid? So, but then this movie wasn't a mystery. Everything was revealed. You know, talking, welcome to the class of 2015. And you're like, oh, this is where we are. You know, in the graduation scene. And so it turns out that he was 12 when they first met. He was 13 during a lot of their relationship. And she was 37, supposed to be, at the time, which would make her born 1980, which is the year you were born. So you're right in line with the Natalie Natalie Portman character. And Julianne Moore is, give or take, 60. Furious math. And so a man-child, did you not think when you saw Joe... That she was like a complacent mom. She's like, that's too, like implying no more beer for you, young man, kind of vibe. And I was like, oh, wait, he's the son, right? Like, where's the dad? (laughs) Right. And that continued, right? The lines are blurred. She's both mother and lover to the Joe character. 
even when they're on the roof, she's like, all right, boys, time to go. Yeah, I mean, she definitely, I feel like she would have naturally a position of authority just given their age difference, especially considering she was in a position of authority as his teacher in elementary school. Wait, 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 wait. No, you're conflating the historical inspiration with this fictional story. You're right. In this story, they work at the pet shop together. (laughs) Right. The pet shop when he's 12? Oh, man. Yeah. She hires him, though. The uh, the pet shop owner guy confirms that she hired him. So I have a question for you. Since the inspiration for the story is based on a teacher, which of your teachers did you have the hots for? There was a teacher lady. I think her last name started with a B. And she was very pretty and wore flowing dresses. And everybody was, it was obvious. Like, oh, she's the pretty one. And then I remembered a kid went up to her and said, good morning. And said, I like your dress. And picked up the hem of her dress. And was like feeling the material between his fingers. And we didn't think anything about it. But he got called into the principal's office and got a stern talking to. You do not touch teachers. And so then I remember a very clear wall being a established. As a matter of fact, I found a necklace on the street on walking on my way to school. It was a gold necklace with a little triangle with three diamonds inside it in a triangle pattern. And I gave it to her as a gift. This is before the the dress hem thing happened. And I got called into the principal's office and I was like, what? And somehow the school knew who this guy was and found what his guy? gold necklace, uh, the owner. It was a guy's necklace? Yeah, it was a, it was a man's. Well, he, he owned it or whatever. And so they said, we want to thank you for bringing it in and giving it to Miss B, whatever her name was. The point is, I found a pretty necklace, gave it to a pretty teacher, and then was praised for returning the necklace by giving it to a teacher. Whereas Hemboy got the smackdown. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that he felt it was innocent. I mean, we, he, I think she was a second grade teacher. What are you going to do? But uh, yeah. <laughs> Brian said there was one teacher, Miss So-and-so, and then she left. And when she came back, she had a different name. She was Miss Such-and-Such. And he was like, oh, man, I miss my chance. <laughs> Look, I mean, I, I I can see that story and that's a coming of age kind of defining moment. That was also one of the episodes of the Wonder Years. Are you sure he didn't take that? <laughs> oh, maybe. He's just appropriating it for himself. Oh, man. You know why? Because kids are stupid and Joe was stupid and Vili Fulau, the inspiration for Joe, was stupid because they're freaking kids, man. They're freaking kids and to answer his question yes he is not capable of making those kinds of decisions especially with an adult who is capable of making those decisions but that doesn't necessarily excuse their later behavior like why does Vili and why does this fictional Joe stick around for 25 years (sighs) and here's where it gets dicey because they're still kids because she is so clearly a kid When I realized what was happened, I was like, oh, they are all severely damaged and they're all going to bone each other. Watch. And part of that came to pass. But still. Meaning when Elizabeth and Joe hook up? It's a weird thing that, that Todd Haynes, the director, talked about how we expect Elizabeth to come in and kind of she's our representation in this stronghold fortress where, you know, the media and stuff weren't allowed in this very private inner sanctuary. And then we don't we, we kind of begin to lose trust in her. But in a weird way, you feel sympathy for the Gracie character, the Mary Kay Letourneau character. 
And mm. I'm not sure I got there because I got nothing but red flags. All like they were obscuring my field of vision watching this movie. She wasn't evil. She was just infantile. And that carried over into her 60s when she freaks out about the cookies and stuff. It was pineapple upside down cake or whatever. You're supposed to feel bad for her, but it was like creepy crying. I thought that it was manipulation. I thought she was like, oh, no, he's with a lady who's his age. What if they bone? I better kind of appeal to him in a way that he understands and do like a clingy crying kind of thing. But it wasn't. That's who she was. So we get bits and pieces of his back of her backstory that she was in this marriage with a guy who might have been controlling or at least made her feel isolated. And then she may or may not have been abused by her brothers. But she has some issues going on and she's definitely stunted it made me think that she is this secure thing that she supposedly has just a very thin facade oh absolutely i think that she doesn't understand things and maybe as fully as comprehensively as she should and thus her assessments of other people including elizabeth are limited like if i say from the source that I wasn't abused by my brothers, then you have to believe it, right? That's what you will put in your movie. To allow someone to come in when you know that the public is facing this from a salacious perspective. You know that someone playing you in a movie is not going to play you the way you want to be perceived. I don't think the Gracie character understands that. Was Gracie in control of the situation? Not at all. Well, it certainly seems like that was what they were trying to communicate after the graduation. Like, why does Gracie leave Elizabeth so stunned? So th there's a power dynamic that is constantly in flux in this movie. And I think that was the face-off at the end where she could assert her authority in a way. Hey, so this is my story. You're here by our grace. And when you do it, do it right, okay? Because not everything that you heard is true. And that is the best of Gracie's quiet power in trying to convince Elizabeth of something. And yes, I think either Elizabeth was shaken up because maybe it's not all true. And it shook the foundation of her character that she was preparing of Gracie. So I think that was her play for credibility. Like, hey, it's what I say and not what everyone says about me because a lot, of, a lot of people say a lot of bad things about me, including my kids and the people who leave poop on my doorstep. But it's me that's important and it's really not. One could view the Elizabeth character as someone simply doing their job and doing it well, thoroughly. Yes. So why is she so unlikable? I mean, is it just because she's so plastic? Or is it because she does it with such dispassion and weirdness? Because she's nuts. I'm sorry, but is that she? level of dedication. Natalie Portman is maybe one of the more famous examples of someone who is sexualized from an extremely young age. Prepubescent mm. Natalie Portman in Leon the, or The Professional is a big thing. There were clocks online. I remember this being just a few older years older than Natalie Portman. Countdown clocks until the day Natalie Portman turned 18 and was thus Ooh. legal. Like, that's creepy. But if anybody knows sexualization of a young person, a celebrity, Natalie Portman maybe is one of those people. So I'm not surprised that she was drawn to this role. That said, Elizabeth, 
was severely compromised. Elizabeth clearly had issues going on, in my humble opinion, because she wanted to get in Joe's pants that level. That's not method acting. That's just creepy. Talking to the kids in high school. I mean, obviously, they're going to ask about sex scenes and laugh and stuff. And she was talking about how it becomes how you make it real. I, I'm par- I can't remember exactly what she said. Right. She's like, am I pretending to enjoy it or am I pretending not to enjoy it? Right. It's that she really crossed a line of creepiness, obviously. And there, and there's like, well, maybe she's just acting or whatever. And that's method. And you got to be a part of the process or whatever until she actually bones Joe. And then she loses all credibility in that respect. Kelly Ray said, you know, that black bra under that sheer blouse, that's a conscious choice. <laughs> and and she does the, the breathy, sexy thing or whatever. And it's like, eee. <laughs> it was definitely pretty cringy. Definitely. And it appears that she's having an affair with her director and she's also engaged and has a very skewed idea of what it means to be an adult. So she is in no better position to be educating Joe than Gracie is about what it means to be an adult. Although, that being said, of the people... The sexually abused 12-year-old or whatever is probably the most together. I mean, he's at least a good dad. He tries to be a good dad because that's because he's a bro dad, because he can be their friend. Joe has, I think, the most hope for being able to progress, to grow. But I think it's because he's trapped in this sort of arrested development age of give or take his age when he, I mean, you know, he, people grow up and just like Julianne Moore can be, the Gracie character can be commanding and authoritative and look someone right in the face with whom she's having a power struggle or exchange. Uh, Joe can be a father and, and can profess love for his kid and, and try to guide him down the right path until he dissolves into 13-year-old tears. You know, like, um, I'm not saying you can't be emotional in front of your kids. I'm saying that I felt bad for Joe more than anybody. And that's not a misogynistic thing or whatever, just because he has a wiener, which I saw, by the way, on camera. But because maybe he had a chance, like he was damaged, but he wasn't really in a position of power so much. No more telling scene than when he leaves for like two seconds and she grabs the letter. Uh, Yeah. I really did think, okay, she's really immersed in her performance. And boy, she's taking it to real extremes, like Shia LaBeouf extremes. In the stock room? In, yeah, who's another person who might have been arrested in, in sort of his development because of his alleged abuse at a young age and being thrust you know, into the public spotlight. Her embodiment's pretty eerie, though, in the recitation of the letter and that final cheesy scene. Well, the cheesy scene is one thing, but the letter recitation was remarkable and right to our faces, which was super awkward. And one take. It occurs to me now that that was supposed to be in the mirror to herself, correct? Yeah, and there was a lot of mirror motify stuff going on. There was the mirror in the dressing room, the mirror in the bathroom, images communicated through reflections and, gla- and glass. But that, that awkward scene where she's putting on makeup... And I was like, she is aggressively pursuing her, like the Gracie character. It wasn't. 
she was mimicking her. Even in the dressing room very early on, their arms are crossed exactly the same. Right. And she's already beginning to mimic her posture. Natalie Portman didn't tell Julianne Moore that, who didn't re recognize it or realize it until pretty late in filming. That Whoa. she at, at pretty much at all times is, is mimicking her performance. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mm -hmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Performance. I never knew that Julianne Moore had a lisp until I heard it through Natalie Portman's mouth. Yeah, and then it was your holdovers moment with the eye, and then were you forever listening for it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, there was Michaela, the mysterious text lady. Oh, in the Monarch Facebook group? Yeah. And uh, Kelly Ray was like, so what are the chances that Elizabeth is Michaela? And I was like, interesting. <laughs> Oh, all like beef style? Yeah, but I, but I really thought that it was more that he had his own separate thing. And he was, by necessity, compartmentalizing so as to grow and develop on his own. It wasn't enough when Gracie was like, you know, he's boned more women than I have men. He had two girls before her. And I was like, in the seventh grade? <laughs> but okay, sure. So whatever. But that does not equal experience. To Gracie, it does. But he mm. knew, he no more knew what he was doing in the seventh grade than, than any 12-year-old or whatever. That's not experience. No, it isn't. So he was doing his own thing in his own world with Michaela and whatever. And he considered that his, you know, life outside of Gracie. Right. And it's ironic to think that the isolation that Gracie may have felt in her first marriage, she basically perpetrated in her second marriage. You know, they get the house because they did the magazine spread or whatever. And it's beautiful and all that. Idyllic even, you might say. But it's pretty isolating. Like, it's just them and the kids, and they're just doing their thing. If you're Mark Watney and you go to Mars, you're stuck in the habitat. What reference was that? That was the Martian, dude. And for how beautiful and exclusive Mars is and that no one else can see it, you can't go outside and you're stuck in the tent all the time forever. And that oh, is what Gracie and Joe were about. They were kind of stuck in their house. Interesting that you bring up The Martian, another movie that attempts to create a lot of eerie tension where nothing happens. <laughs> nothing happens. Because what are the stakes for May, December? Is it that they don't have enough hot dogs for their barbecue? Right. Dong, ba bong. And you're like, whoa, we're going to dramatic sting the hot dogs? It, it, sp <laughs> it spoke of melodrama and of camp. Right. I was like, and an attempt at humor that worked. But I think that original hot dog establishing of the device kind of undermined the device later on. Yeah. When they did it for real, when when she when is that when Elizabeth was off balance at the graduation? Yeah. And um, kind of throughout 
So I did do a little bit of research on Todd Haynes. I know that he's a Douglas Sirk fan, and he talks a lot about the Sirkian ending, the so-called Sirkian ending, the happy endings that aren't really happy. And that Douglas Sirk was like the forerunner to the soap opera. And this is pure soap opera disguised as a, you know, a premium independent feature film. From the stings and the score, I was like, are they trying to make this a horror movie? Because, or are they just trying to amp out? Look, look, we got nothing here and it's all an inference and it's all in their history. Let's make it dramatic. Give me a big score. Give me a big moment on the hot dog. And so I thought that's what they were trying to manipulate. But I did get the tension and I did get the feels. And those feels primarily for about two hours of runtime was all ick. It was almost nonstop ick. Look, all yeah. you know, there was nothing sexy in the sex scenes. All I got was ick and feeling bad for them. So the tension comes from just being uncomfortable. Yeah, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so why not just base this on the life of Kay and Villy? I mean, it was pretty close. They didn't, Todd Haynes in particular, didn't contact Billy. Mary Kay Letourneau has passed away. But he said, that's crappy of you. Maybe you should have given me a call and maybe gotten it right. And Julianne Moore heard that and was like, oh, I'm sorry he feels that way. And Natalie Portman heard that and was like, oh, I'm sorry he feels that way. Closely based, but names changed to protect the, I don't know. I mean, sure, there's accountability when we're dealing with very sketchy, tough subject matter to get it right, if you're going to get it right. And then you can hide behind the factuality of, we did this authentically, and this isn't our perversion. This is what happened. But here they could kind of do whatever they wanted, but it was closed. Nobody's making secrets. Nobody, Nobody's suggesting that this wasn't the Mary Kay Letourneau, Vili Fulau story. Um, the music supervisor kid, that kid is definitely a killer, right? Oh, yeah. He's going to have and, problems. And easily more surface level traumatized than the Gracie character. He was a child who saw his home broken up for that reason, still in regular contact with his mom so he can't get away, and super damaged. So this is not a comment on people who survive sexual abuse and things, but it kind of makes sense. And what was his motivation to lie? Because uh, he leveraged her saying, look, I want to be music supervisor or I'm going to go talk to people about what you're doing. I'm not exactly sure what that threat was. Maybe he was asserting his credibility by giving her a tidbit that rocked her world. But that dude, I was like, if this comes to a head, if this movie goes where it has the potential to go, that dude is definitely a killer. Yep, he is he starts as like a shyster and then he like graduates to being killer. Oh. But then again, maybe it's maybe because he's not repressed, maybe because it is all on the surface, you know, he's not going to he's not damaged internally. I don't know. They all kind of had issues. Every time the high school girl, the the younger daughter, one of the twins, was at school like with friends, I was like, "Wow, she's so normal." Like I expected yeah. her to be perpetually damaged, but they were kind, you know, they had to they had to live. She's the result of other people's trauma. She maybe grew up a little bit sheltered, like, you know, like her mom, I guess. But she didn't experience the trauma happen to her. It's like 9-11. If it happened before you were born or too young to understand, it's not a thing. It's like World War II. It's just part of history that we don't fully understand. The long-reaching, sustained impact. 
and trauma that that inflicted on people. Georgie is the post-trauma punk kid. It ruined my life or whatever. And I think he kind of embraces that identity because it brings with it some notoriety, which is all kids want is to be known and to be famous or whatever. But the fact that Gracie talks to Georgie every day was in a way scarier to me. Hmm. Like that was like, ooh, that's probably not a good idea. That's not going to help you move on. That That's going to keep you firmly in the mold of trauma. Well, and that's kind of what she wants. Like these two families, her first family and her second family, she keeps them all close. And what did he say? He, he sits down and he says to her, like, you know, has she has she messed you up yet? Like, right? I think that. I think it's a both and with the Georgie and the Gracie characters. Like, I think that he simultaneously hates and can't be separated from her. Yeah, that's a little bubble of self-reinforcing, not delusion, just they're, they're cycling trauma, man. Like, it seems like even in allowing Elizabeth to play this role, maybe they need the money, but also they're just opening it all up and they're they're taking themselves back to that time. It confused me greatly as to why that they they would allow that to happen. Well, because Gracie is convinced and always has been that she's never done anything wrong. <sighs> yeah. And then unfortunately, of all of them, Elizabeth is maybe the most ill. You know, Gracie had a predilection and she acted on it in a, in a predatory kind of way. Is it wrong? Is it a crime if someone with the mental ability, with the mental capacity of a 12-year-old seduces a 12-year-old? Can they be faulted for that? Like, they can't help it. That's just how they feel. And they don't feel like they're being evil, even if societally we view that as an inherently evil act because they're damaging children. But maybe that was this movie's justification in trying to get us to feel some kind of sympathy for Gracie because she's maybe not irredeemable. I associated her too closely with the actual events, so it's hard for me to remove that level of she was in a position of authority. Could have told him, you are going to have an affair with me or you're going to do the sexy with me. And he would he would have been like, okay, Mrs. Letourneau, you know. <sighs> and so I had to remove myself from all that. You can't steer people or groom people or whatever the term is. It's not okay. And they knew it. They knew it. They had to. Like the zone of interest, you have to land on one side or another. You can't be ambiguous even in in a seemingly ambiguous film. You have to draw a line. And the line was, am I naive? I, I am naive. You know, she was abused. She abused him. She didn't feel it was wrong, but that doesn't mean that we couldn't firmly understand that it was wrong. The fact that Georgie revealed that if, if you know, this all blew up on her, it would literally kill her. Yeah. I'm so, I'm really sorry. She's an extremely weak soul. She's infantile and that's bad, but I can't save her and it's not okay for her to do things that are bad. So mm. that's why I got the icks because it was my self-preservation thing. Like, I don't want to wade into the moral debate of child abuse and if that can ever be justified. And mm. I think that Elizabeth was happy to wade into that debate because she was acting out some weird demons on her own. Like the final scene of her saying it's getting more real was basically her becoming that person. Like, let's do another take where I can get closer and be creepier and sexier because for me, it's beginning to feel real, which is what I want. That was the meaning of the snake scene? I think so. Because every time she got closer and more seductive and was touching him more, and I was like, 
ooh. And he's like, great, we got it. And she was like, no, even though you got it, we got it for this no-budget movie. Uh, I want to do it again. It's complex and it's so cringy because it butts up against our feeling that this person did something wrong. And yet we also know intuitively that we are not our worst deeds. And so what is what is Gracie realistically supposed to do? Curl up in a ball and give up on life? Like these people, people who do bad things, some of which are public, go on and barbecue and go to flower arranging class and they bake and they raise kids and they live their lives. Absolutely. But I think it's an interesting take to look at that and have that continue to run up against this idea that this thing that she did 25 years ago was so wrong. Mm, And maybe she couldn't have been held accountable really Really, it wasn't clear how long she was in prison, although I understand how long Mary Kay Letourneau was in prison. Um, And yeah, she deserves to live a life. And people who are out of prison don't have opportunities and they're given, you know, sometimes they can find a job opportunity or people help them or people save them. That's all great. It's not that they don't deserve to have happy lives. I can't wade into the fray. I can no longer, because I I went through this as a young person, uh, this idea that I had to save people, that I was responsible for helping people who couldn't help themselves. I can't be that person. And so that was my position after this movie was a, a little bit of a posture of defensiveness, just because all these people exist and they all have traumas. My number one goal is to stay away, for the most part, from serious trauma. Drama. Trauma, drama. You don't want yeah. drama in a box. You can't save people. And these those people deserve to live or whatever. But the whole point of not cycling trauma, not making trauma generational, where abusers abuse their kids or people who were beaten beat their kids. It's my It's my privilege in life, having reached the age I am, where I'm not so damaged, definitely damaged. It's not so damaged that I can't function or that I have to seek out that trauma in other avenues of my life, in romantic partners or whatever, so that I can try to help those people. It's true. Ain't nobody got time for trauma drama. Right? Can't save you. Got the icks. Understand this movie. Everything was revealed in the end. And I was so I was like, oh... But I was also like, oh, still better than poor things, much more compelling than half of the Best Picture nominees that I saw this year. Just a little bit icky. Is that an official all right? All right. I agree. Perhaps more coherent and more compelling than some of the other nominees, which is curious. And I really didn't expect it. I'll give May, December a good. And that's our discussion on May, December 2023 Best Screenplay nominee at the Academy Awards. What did you think of May, December? 818-835-0473 or whatevermovies at gmail.com. Thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there.
Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep leadership is real world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid.